0: Chapter nineteen of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter nineteen Can I see Zambuco the banker? Yes, if it is on business. It is on business. What name? Say a stranger. That will be enough. It was Captain Antifer who asked, and the replies were from a peevish old native seated at the bottom of a narrow office, divided into two parts by a partition, with a barred window. Antifer had thought it better not to give his name, as he was anxious to see the effect produced on the banker when he said to him point-blank, I am Antifer, son of Thomas Antifer, of St. Malo." A minute afterwards he was introduced to the interior of a room without any curtains, the walls whitewashed, the ceiling black with lamp smoke, the only furniture, a safe in one corner, a writing table in another, and a table and two stools before this table was seated the banker the two legatees of kamalik pasha were face to face without rising zebuko adjusted with his finger and thumb the large round spectacles resting on his nose and only just lifting his head said with an accent that would have done credit to any native of languedoc or provence to whom have i the honour of speaking To Captain Antifer replied the personage, expecting that these three words would provoke a shout from Zimbucco, a leap from the chair, and a brief reply, You! At last! But the banker did not leap, nor did he shout. The expected reply did not come from his lips, but an attentive observer would have noticed a sudden gleam in his eyes which instantly were hid by the falling eyelids. I tell you that I am Captain Antifer. I heard you pierre Servan Malo Antifer, son of Thomas Antifer, of St. Malo, lillette Valaine, Brittany, France. You have a letter of credit on me? asked the banker, without the slightest alteration in his voice. A letter of credit? Yes, replied Antifer, quite disconcerted at the coolness of his reception. A letter of credit for the amount of four millions. All right, hand it over, replied Zambuco, as indifferently as if it related to only a shilling or so. Antiphor simply collapsed. What? For twenty years this phlegmatic banker had known that he was to have a share of this enormous treasure the day a certain Antifer came to bring it to him, so to speak, and he did not even flinch before this messenger of Kamalik Pasha. Not a sign of surprise, not a gleam of satisfaction. Was there a mistake in this document from island number one? Was it somebody else that was meant? Was this a man who had the latitude of island number two? Or was it somebody else? The disappointed colegate shuddered from head to foot. The blood rushed to his heart, and he had barely time to sink onto one of the stools. The banker, without the slightest effort to help him, looked at him through his spectacles with just the slightest suspicion of a smile at the corner of his mouth, and it seemed as though these words would have escaped him if it had not been careful to restrain them. That sailor is not strong. Meaning, not difficult to manage. Antifer recovered himself, wiping his face with his pocket-handkerchief. He rose. You are really Zambuco, the banker, he asked, slapping his big hand on the table. Yes, the only one of the name in Tunis. And you were not expecting me? No. My arrival has not been announced to you? And how should it have been? By the letter of a certain Pasha. A Pasha? But I receive hundreds of letters from Pashas. Kimalik Pasha of Cairo. I don't remember him. Zambuko's object was to get Antifer to give himself away completely, so that he would offer to sell the longitude without being told the latitude. At the name of Kamalik, he looked as though the name was not quite unknown to him. He seemed to be trying to remember. Let me see, he said, adjusting his spectacles. Kimelik Pasha of Cairo? Yes, replied Antifer, a sort of Egyptian Rothschild, who possessed an enormous fortune in gold, diamonds, and precious stones. Ah, I remember. And who informed you that half of his fortune would come to you? You are right, Mr. Antifer, and I ought to have the letter somewhere. What? Somewhere? Do you not know where it is? Oh, nothing is lost here. I will find it. And at this reply, the attitude of Captain Antifer, the gesture of his two hands stretched out like claws, indicated pretty clearly that he would twist the banker's neck if the letter could not be found. You see, Mr. Zambucco, he continued, endeavouring to control himself, your coolness is embarrassing. You speak of this matter with an indifference. "Pooh," said the banker. Why? Why, pooh? when it is about four millions of money? Zambuko's lips gave a disdainful pout. He seemed to think of a million as he might think of an orange skin. Ah, the brute. He must be a hundred times a millionaire, thought Captain Antifor. But here the banker turned the conversation on another track, with the object of learning what he did not yet know, the chain of events which had led to this visit, and so, in a doubting sort of way, he wiped his spectacles with the corner of his handkerchief, and said, Do you really believe in this story of the treasure? Do I believe in it? I should think I did. And then he related how in 1799 his father had saved the poshest life, how in 1842 a mysterious letter had arrived at St. Malo announcing the deposit of the treasure on an island that had to be searched for how he antifer had received from his dying father the secret known to him alone how for 20 years he had waited for the messenger with the longitude how ben omar had brought him the will which enabled him to discover the island in the gulf of oman how he and his nephew jewel and his friend Tregermain, with ben omar and his clerk had found the island off sohar and how instead of the treasure, they had there found a box in which was a document giving the longitude of a second island, which Antifer was to communicate to Zambuco, the banker at Tunis, who possessed a latitude which would enable them to determine the position of this new island. However indifferent he might seem, the banker had listened to this recital with extreme attention. A slight trembling of his long fingers indicated his excitement. When Antifer, who was breathing with great gulps, had finished, the banker simply remarked, "Yes." quite so, there seems to be no doubt as to the existence of this treasure. What object had Kamalik Pasha in acting in this way? And indeed, the object was not very clear. You might imagine, said Antifer, that... But first, Mr. Zambuco, did you have any dealings with the Pasha? Did you ever render him any service? Certainly a very great service. And when? When he thought of realizing his fortune. He then lived in Cairo where I, then, resided. Well, then, it is clear. He wished to associate in the discovery of the treasure the two persons to whom he desired to show his gratitude. You? And me in the place of my father. And why no others? Suggested the banker. Ah, do not say that, exclaimed Antifer, bringing his fist down on the table. There are enough already. Two are too many. Just so, replied Zimboko. But one more explanation. Why does this Alexandrian notary accompany you in your search? A clause in the will gives him a commission on condition that he assists in person at the handing over of the legacy where it is taken out of the ground. And what is the commission? One percent. One percent? Ah, the rascal. The rascal. That is exactly the word for him, exclaimed Antifer. And believe me, I have let him know it. On this point, the co-legatees were quite agreed. Now, said Antifer, that you know the whole story, there is no reason, I suppose, why we should not be frank with one another. The banker remained impassable. I have got the new longitude found on island number one, continued Antifer, and you ought to have the latitude of island number two. Yes, replied Zimbogo with a certain hesitation. Then why did you pretend, when I told you my name, that you knew nothing about this story? Because I did not wish to give myself away to the first who came. You might be an intruder, Mr. Antifer, and I wish to be sure you are not. As you have the document which instructs you to put yourself in communication with me— I have it. Let me see it. One moment, Mr. Zambucco. Give and take. You have Kamalik Pasha's letter? I have. Well, the letter for the document. Let the exchange be made in order and reciprocally. Quite so, replied the banker. And rising, he walked to the safe and turned over the papers in the drawers with a deliberation that made Antifer furious. Why these inexplicable proceedings? Did Zambuco wish to imitate Ben Omar at St. Malo and endeavor to get Antifer's secret out of him? Not so, for that was impossible with a man so resolved not to part with the goods without cash down. But the banker had a plan, a plan long and carefully thought out, which, in the event of success, would retain Kamalik's millions in his family a plan that required, as an indispensable condition, that his colegatee was a widower or a bachelor. Clicking the lock of his safe, he turned round for a moment and asked in a voice that trembled a little, Are you a married man? No, Mr. Zambuco, and that is a social condition on which I congratulate myself morning and evening. The last part of the reply provoked a frown from the banker, who resumed the search among the papers. Had Zambucco a family, then? No. His only relative was a sister we have mentioned. Talisma Zambuco lived very quietly at Malta on an allowance from her brother. She was then 47 years of age and had never had an opportunity of being married, first because her beauty, intelligence, and fortune left something to be desired, and secondly because her brother had not found a husband for her in default of any suitor putting in an appearance on his own account. But Zambuco had made up his mind that his sister should marry some day. And whom? Why, this very Antifer, who had been expecting for twenty years, and who would do very well for a husband, provided that he was a widower or a bachelor. Once the marriage had taken place, the millions would remain in the family, and Talisma Zambuco would lose nothing by having waited. She was entirely dependent upon her brother, and any husband offered by him would be received by her with closed eyes. But would Antifer consent to close his and marry this ancient Maltese? The banker did not doubt that he would for he thought that he was in a position to impose any conditions he pleased on his co-legatee. Besides, sailors are not very difficult to manage. At least, he thought so. Ah, unhappy Antifer, and what a galley you have embarked. And how much better would be a trip on the Rance, even on board the Charmante MLE, if she still existed. We now know the banker's game. Nothing could be simpler or better devised. He would only give up his latitude in exchange for Antifer's life that is, his life in chains by indissoluble marriage with Felisma Zambuco. Before taking Kamalik pacha's letter out of the drawer, he seemed to think of something, and returned to sit down at the table. Antifer's eyes flashed as if in a thunderstorm. What are you waiting for? he asked. I was thinking about something, replied the banker. About what, if you please? Are you of opinion that in this matter our rights are absolutely equal? Certainly they are. "Well." I don't think so. And why? Because it was your father who rendered the service to the pasha, and not you. While it was I who... Antifer burst out. What? Mr. Zambuco, are you trying to play the fool with an old sailor? Are not my father's rights mine when I am his sole heir? Yes or no, will you obey the wishes of the testator? I will do as I choose, replied the banker, sharply and dryly. Antifer clutched the table to prevent himself from jumping up. "'You know you can do nothing without me,' said the Maltese. "'Nor you without me,' said Antifer. The discussion became heated. One was scarlet with fury, the other paler than usual, but quite collected. "'Will you give me your latitude?' asked Antifer furiously. "'Begin by giving me your longitude,' replied the banker. "'Never.' "'Very well. Here's my document,' warned Antifer, taking out his pocketbook. Keep it. I don't want it. You do not want it? Do you forget that it means four millions? Four millions, yes. And they will be lost if we don't find out the island where they are buried. Pff! whistled the banker, and he made a disdainful grimace, which drove Antifor so mad that he tucked up his sleeves, preparatory to clutching at the banker's throat. But the banker, seeing that he had gone too far for his personal comfort, suddenly toned down and remarked, but I think we can arrange this. Antifer dug his hands into his pockets so as to be less tempted to use them. Sir, continued the banker, I am rich. I have very simple tastes, and neither two millions nor four would change my mode of life. But I have a passion for accumulating money, and I admit that Camelake Pasha's treasure would look well in my coffers. Well, ever since I knew of the existence of this treasure, I have had no other thought than to obtain entire possession of it. In Deed. wait a little and my share your share you can have it only in such a way that it will remain in my family that will no longer be mine you can take it or leave it explain yourself i have a sister talisma my compliments she lives in malta so much the better for her if the climate suits her she is forty-seven years old and by no means bad-looking for her age That I am not astonished at if she looks like you. Well, as you are a bachelor, will you marry my sister? Marry your sister, yelled Antifer, his face a vivid scarlet with congestion. Yes, marry her, continued the banker, in a decided tone that admitted of no reply. By that union, your two millions on one side and my two millions on the other would remain in my family. Mr. Zambuco, answered Antifer. Mr. Antifer? Is this proposal serious? Nothing could be more serious, and if you decline to marry my sister, everything is at an end between us, and you can return to France. A dull rattling was heard. Antifer was choking. He tore off his cravat, he clutched his hat, he rushed across the courtyard, he ran down the street, gesticulating and behaving himself like a madman. Saouk, who had been waiting all this time, followed him, very much disturbed at his proceedings. Antifor reached the hotel and flung himself into the vestibule. Seeing his friend and his nephew in a little room adjoining the dining room, he rushed up to them and roared, The wretch! Do you know what he wants? To kill you? Asked Trigomene. Worse, to marry me to his sister. End of chapter 19